Gotham Knights, without a doubt, is one of the biggest disappointments of 2022. A lot of people were extremely excited for this game, and it's really unfortunate that it turned out the way that it did. I'm sure it's no mystery at this point, but I did not really enjoy the game, but I did play through the whole thing, and I tried to give it as fair a shot at impressing me as I possibly could. In this video, I'll be breaking down all of my thoughts in excruciating detail. And whether or not you agree with everything I say, at the very least, I wanna say thank you for bothering to listen, watching these videos, and making this dream a reality for me. I owe it all to you. Of course, like the video if you enjoyed, subscribe for more videos like this on upcoming games. We've got the critique for God of War Ragnarok coming out very, very soon. And if you wanna hang out with me in real time, head over to to Luke Stevens Live, my second channel, which I'll have linked below in the description box underneath the like button. And you can hang out with me every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, whenever we're streaming. We also do community nights. If you're a member of that channel, we do member nights where we play games like Warzone with members of the community. It's a really good time. So I would love to see you over there. Also, just so you guys know, the audio versions of these critiques, these big long videos I do, go up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify podcasts and SoundCloud so you can download the MP3 directly if you want to. So if you want to listen to these videos on the go, all of those critiques are up on those platforms now. Just search for Luke Stevens and I'll pop up. I don't make any money from doing that. I just know that a lot of you guys like listening to these videos on the go and you don't have YouTube premium or anything. So this is my way of just throwing you a bone. So check it out if that sounds interesting. But with that, Let's get into it. To begin, I want to state as clearly and concisely as I can that the performance of this game on PC and most consoles was ass at launch and still is. I've been testing this regularly since the game came out, popping back in whenever they drop an update, trying a couple of missions, seeing if it's any better. And while stability has been lightly increased, I'm not getting hard crashes anymore. There still are major issues with frame rates, performance issues when lots of enemies load onto the screen, and the bat cycle bike thing is pretty much unusable because the frames drop into like the high 20s every time you try to navigate the city with it. If you think this is because of the hardware that I'm running, I can stress clearly to you it's not. I'm running a custom built PC. This thing has a 3080, a 5950X. If you want to see all of the stats, I'll have it in that link tree in my kit so you can check out everything I use to make this studio happen. But I can assure you I'm giving this game every benefit of the doubt and every chance to perform well. It's running off of an M.2 SSD. I have nothing else running whenever I play the game. It just doesn't run well. As a result, I'm not going to beat this dead horse too much. Everybody knows that this game doesn't run well. I'm not going to keep reaffirming it, showing you all of the bugs and glitches I've had, except for this one that I thought was particularly funny. <laughs> I was playing the game on stream and randomly the batons started clipping into my character's hands. And so I got this like weird baton nunchuck stigmata thing going on it's super stupid <laughs> it just looks dumb it was like this until i loaded into a new area again like minor but i just thought this one was funny so i thought i would i would share it it's certainly very minimal compared to some of the other performance issues we've had hard crashes stuff like that i had somebody reach out to me their ps5 like was bricked as a result of this game, they had to send it in through RMA and get a replacement sent to them. It was a whole thing. So this is very minor. I just thought it was funny. But you know what? Let's go through the opening sections of the game and discuss in a little bit of clarity what exactly is going on and what differentiates Gotham Knights from the other Arkham games that we got in years prior that a lot of people were looking at as the standard bearers 
for what this game needed to live up to. I'm sure it goes without saying, but like spoilers, you know, you're watching a critique on a video game. You should know that spoilers are a risk. I'm going to discuss the story. I'm going to be showing clips from the story all throughout this video. So if you don't want anything spoiled, just like know that. The game opens up with a long cinematic cutscene showing Batman's death at the hands of Rachel Ghoul. It's a pretty epic opening. I love the fight choreography and the cutscene is really well done. Honestly, this got me pretty stoked for what the game had to offer. I love the Court of Owls storylines as described in the New 52. I mean, you guys might even see it, but you see back there? See what this is? These are all, oh, sorry. Uh, these are all of the New 52 Batman comic books. I find this stuff very compelling. I love the plot lines that are described here. I think that there's so much potential in this story. And to see them just open up casually with Batman's death is pretty bold. And it sets the stage for what this game is going to be. And that is specifically that this is no Batman Arkham game. This is something totally different. And they're going to try to make this feel very unique. And honestly, from the start, they do a pretty good job. Okay, babies, we're going to go back on the shelf. And let me be very clear. This is extremely important that they make this game feel different from the Rocksteady trilogy that came before. I know there was Batman Arkham Origins, but that was actually developed by the same team that's doing Gotham Knights. So it wasn't actually part of the Rocksteady trilogy, but I digress. You see, a lot of people went into this expecting it to basically just be like the next generation of Arkham Knight. And that is in no way what they were trying to do here. And it's something we've been trying very hard to do on this channel, at least, is only evaluate games against what they provide and what they are instead of holding against that thing what we were hoping it would be. In other words, like I can evaluate a game like Assassin's Creed Odyssey and say, oh, as an open world exploration RPG, it's pretty good. It's not a great Assassin's Creed game, but as the thing that it is, if we look at that, it's pretty good. In the same way, if I look at something like Fallout 76 and evaluate it as a big open world, always online MMO style, like looter shooter, I can evaluate it as that and say that it sucks ass. I don't have to just look at it and be like, well, compared to other Fallout games, it's a terrible Fallout. I can do that, and that might be true, but the most fair way to evaluate a given video game is to look at it for what it is and let it stand on its merits or fall on its merits in that case. And this bypasses the common complaint from a lot of people when you critique or have problems with something when they're like, well, you just aren't glad because it's not the thing you wanted. Like, oh, you don't like this movie because it wasn't as good as your version of the book that you had built in your mind while reading the book. That doesn't mean the movie's bad. It just means it wasn't what you were expecting. The movie can still be good, even though it wasn't what you were looking for personally, right? So with Gotham Knights, we're going to try to evaluate this critically and fairly based on what it actually provides, not on what we would hope it could be. So what exactly were they trying to accomplish here? Well, for one, they were trying to do a multiplayer, specifically co-op, open world Gotham adventure game that's live service, has a bunch of cosmetics, action RPG mechanics, and they wanted to provide a relatively robust story in the theme of the Court of Owls for you to enjoy. Their inspirations were pretty clearly the Marvel's Avengers game that released to, let's just say, mixed reactions. 
They obviously took a ton of inspiration from Marvel's Spider-Man, which released on the PlayStation 4. And I will say they also took a ton of inspiration specifically from character designs from Spider-Man Miles Morales. Like some of them look straight up copy and pasted. But specifically what this game was trying to do to differentiate itself from all of those other games that it took inspiration from was that it was trying to give you access to four superheroes, a handful of villains, and then a big open world version of Gotham City for you to explore and basically to try and fill the shoes of Batman and the void that he left behind after he died. So with that understanding of what they were trying to do, I think now we can evaluate a little more clearly and critically how it managed to deliver or under deliver on those goals. And while I'm sure it comes as no surprise, they do a pretty bad job. <laughs> you see, almost immediately after this cutscene plays, you'll be tasked with selecting one of the four heroes to play as. Of course, you have Batgirl, Nightwing, Red Hood, and Robin. The idea is that they each have their own unique play styles, their own abilities and skills, and specializations. They also will each receive their own unique traversal mechanic that you gain access to after completing knighthood quest lines which is basically just a bunch of grinding where you have to run around and complete say 10 spontaneous crimes that happen in gotham these things can take you anywhere from 45 minutes to complete up to two hours it just depends on how much other stuff you're doing if you're interrogating enemies after wiping out an encampment it's very dynamic i guess you could say and it's up to you. But the point is, it's still a grind for you to get access to this one mechanic that makes them feel unique. For example, Batgirl is able to glide through the city and Nightwing has this glider that he can hold on to that flies him around. Red Hood has the staple cosmic fart that allows him to jump around the map. And Robin just complains with his Weasley voice until time and space itself opens up a chasm and allows him to transport. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but like sometimes it, it feels that way because he's so annoying. I'm, okay, I'm just gonna leave it there. It's like so annoying. I cannot stand Robin in this game. I know I'm probably alone in that. He's just obnoxious and annoying. Oh, it's yeah. Anyway, the nice thing is if you don't like one character, you can swap away from them. I started playing as Batgirl and I played about nine hours with her. After unlocking a bunch of stuff and seeing what she had to offer, I eventually just gave up primarily because the voice actor who plays her I'm sure she's a very nice person, but dear God almighty, I cannot stand the voice acting for Batgirl in this game. I don't know if it's a directorial issue. I don't know if it's a script issue, but all of it is monotone. It feels like she's reading off some like corporate memo. She's not actually acting. It's like laughably bad. So much so I felt like I was missing something. It also had a lot to do with chat because once chat started pointing out a bunch of little things that she was doing, I couldn't unhear it. I couldn't unsee it. So I asked everybody in uh, the chat of our live stream who I should swap to and people recommended Nightwing. And I actually have to say, I really like Nightwing as a character and I thought he plays very well. And his special movement mechanic is this glider, which is so overpowered that it basically removes the need to grapple and use the bat cycle, which I find really funny. Maybe it's just me, but this drives me like actually crazy when game developers give you access to a gameplay tool that totally obliterates the usefulness of like 15 other mechanics. It drives me crazy. Like they give you access to the bat cycle and you use that while you're grinding out the ability to unlock the glider and the grapple hook and everything. And then you get that 
and like once you have the grapple hook the bike is no longer useful and then once you have the glider you don't need to use the grapple hook anymore so they just are actively making other gameplay elements useless and it's like okay, okay what are we doing <laughs> like you're you're hurting yourself here it could have been interesting if they like deployed a bunch of drones in the city to make it so you can't just go gliding or if they made it so the glider gets broken at some point in the story and then you can't use it anymore and you know for bad girl maybe it's the same thing where drones would shoot at you if you're flying through the sky so then you have to use the bike but the problem is like even that would feel contrived because it would be it would just be another way of trying to force players into doing something they don't want to do but you know what we'll get to all of that in just a few moments the point is each character does have their own movements their own mechanics and their own gameplay features but you probably are not going to figure out which one you like or more importantly don't like for a while. You see, the way that they design these characters is that they all have the same archetypal attacks within the combat system to start. This means you have a light and heavy attack, a quick long range attack, and a heavy long range attack, which is effectively a shotgun blast. This will be identical for all of the characters. There's no special moves, special combos, or anything when you first select the character. They will all fight effectively the same, just with different coats of paint. And I get it. Okay, we want to give the player the ability to like level up the character and get them to play differently over time so that there's a sense of progression. But the problem is the characters don't feel different enough when you first swap to them to give them a shot and decide if you want to grind with them for the next 10 hours to unlock new upgrades and make them specialized effectively. And this means that you only notice the things you don't like about a character's playstyle after playing with them for like 10 hours in a 25 to 30 hour game. Maybe it's like a grand conspiracy and this is part of their, their like brilliant game design idea to force the player into grinding these characters out so that you play with more of them over the course of your time with the game. Maybe that's what it is. But again, like it's such a passive aggressive way of making players try different characters, like just make all of them feel really good and fun to play as and different. And then I'll want to swap between them. Even something like hot swappable heroes for missions, similar to what they did in Batman Arkham Knight, where you could swap between Catwoman and Batman during those puzzle sections with Riddler. And even in something like Grand Theft Auto V, where you could hot swap between Trevor, Franklin, and Michael for a given mission, just bouncing between them, using their own specialties to help you get through a given mission. Honestly, it feels like such a missed opportunity to have that dynamic gameplay when you're not playing in co-op that it, it boggles my mind if you could have one stealth oriented character say robin and then they go up with red hood and they team up to take on clayface it would be really interesting if you could quickly swap between them as you go through like the vents in the building then you swap over to red hood and he barges in creates a distraction then you swap back to robin and then you go in here and you hack into the security system then you swap back to red hood all in the same mission that would be interesting, that would be dynamic and compelling, and especially if the characters felt really different, that I think would make all of these missions far more engaging and interesting. But instead, you pick one character, and then you have to listen to all of the other characters talk to you passively through a radio. I really believe if this were not designed as a co-op game, they probably would have included a system like that because they did all of the groundwork for making these characters feel different, which they do feel markedly different, after you've grinded out a bunch of their skill trees and made them feel unique. But because they knew that this was going to be cooperative, they just figured, ah, well, we shouldn't add that system in because players will just be doing that with each other while going through missions and co-op. 
eh, it's fine. This is why it's not just a simple addition to a game when you add co-op. It complicates everything. Everything changes to accommodate that alteration of the gameplay loop. It's totally different. It's not as simple as like, oh, this is the game, and then we'll add co-op, and it'll just be like a little click on the side, then we'll be good. No, no, no. It alters everything. Now, all of that said, once you've selected your character that you actually like playing as, you'll run around, bike, and eventually glide or cosmically fart your way to a place marked on your map. Once you get there, you'll punch some guys and gals. You'll watch a couple of cutscenes, all of which have a fade to black. More on this later. And then you'll go back to the Belfry Tower, which is effectively the hub for all of your operations. There, you will craft new items, equipment, outfits, and upgrades, apply them to your character, and then you'll go back out repeating the cycle once again. And that's the whole game. Like, the whole thing. For 30 hours, that's all you do. Now, to be fair, I think you can have repetitious gameplay loops in video games, and it can still be really fun. If you break down to a very basal level the gameplay loop in something like, say, I don't know, Elden Ring, I think you could whittle it down to something that sounds remarkably simplistic. You leave a site of grace, run around until you stumble onto a boss, fight and kill the boss, unlocking a new site of grace that you then sit at. You travel back to the hub where you'll craft upgrades and apply them, and then you go back out to the world through the sites of grace to continue the loop again. You see what I mean? Like, you can do this for most games. The difference between these games, though, is what actually comprises those individual events and activities that make up that very simplistic gameplay loop. If those systems are really robust, so for example in Elden Ring the boss fights are really remarkably well done, each boss is unique and captivating, the combat's really solid, and all of the upgrades in the action RPG elements make it so your character is highly differentiatable and your character feels markedly different than everybody else's, and then you add in the idea that you can play co-op with your friends to take on the boss fights, all of this crazy stuff, that makes that simplistic gameplay loop much more compelling. In Gotham Knights, though, you're going out into a dead city that causes your frame rate to plummet every time you start exploring it with any sort of velocity. You find a bunch of brain-dead NPCs trying to commit the most basic of crimes, almost all of them being copy and pasted across the map dynamically by some sort of artificial intelligence that's not very intelligent. I kid you not, like I sat here for like five minutes when I was writing the script and I was trying to come up with something to uh, like put in as a joke about AI. And all I could think of was that like that internet historian thing. I think it was Fallout 76 when he talked about it and he was like, yeah, it's far more A than I. That's all I could think of. So that's what I have to offer. Uh, go watch internet historian. There there was also like, I, I thought maybe, ooh, I could do like, uh, it was like, Artificial intelligence, but it's like artificial idiocy. <laughs> it just didn't land. So <laughs> that's, that's my story. <laughs> the point is, go watch Internet Historian. He's way funnier than I will ever be. You'll go around beating up these brain dead NPCs. Then you will get some cutscene to trigger that either completes a side quest, contributes to the future completion of the side quest, or progresses the story. And then you go back to the base, you craft a bunch of stuff, and then repeat the cycle. The problem is the combat is not engaging enough to be considered a net positive or something that I want to actively pursue. We'll discuss combat in a little bit and the direct inspirations they took from and why it feels so terrible. We'll talk about that in a moment, but to continue on, the crafting system is also 
totally horrible. It's based off of a few key crafting components that you'll unlock by completing missions and collectibles and going through the main story and all of this. The problem is it feels straight out of a mobile game. And I'm not the only one that has said this. And we'll talk a little bit more at the end of the video about the conspiracy theory that's been going around about this game and its development. But it just screams like freemium mobile game. I mean, look at this menu. Look at this crafting menu. This does not look like something that is in a triple A video game that's focusing on a narrative and complex co-op gameplay system. This looks like something that's developed so that they can sell you loot boxes that give you these crafting components on the side. And I think more generally, my problem with the crafting system in this game is that it doesn't require really any effort on your part. It's just bloat. You see, after you use an item, you can then break it down for its constituent parts. Because almost every single time that you go back to the Belfry to cycle forward a night, you will have leveled up and thus need to upgrade your gear with different attachments or entirely different equipment altogether. You will constantly have a rotating collection of outdated equipment that you need to break down. And every time you do so, you unlock more crafting components, which allows you to craft the current item that actually matches your level and the difficulty of the enemies around you. And you also unlock so many crafting components just by playing the game that it doesn't offer you any challenge at all. Only once did I find myself wondering, oh, how can I not craft this? I don't have the materials. And then I look at it and realize it requires like a legendary thing that's very, very rare and that I didn't even know how to get. So I just said, eh, screw it. And so I crafted the thing right beneath it in terms of power level that was just as good. It just was like missing one mod slot and that's it. And this is what really bugs me is that gameplay systems are added intentionally. These things aren't just like in games because they just appeared there. Developers choose to include these systems in their games and creating a crafting system with all sorts of different outfits and then having like a transmog system for applying different looks of skins onto different equipment. That takes some effort. They worked on this pretty hard and yet it's totally mindless. You know, I bashed Assassin's Creed Valhalla for having a skill bush. It wasn't even a tree. It was a skill bush. And at the middle of the skill bush was an auto apply skill point button where you could just press a and then the computer inside the game's engine would just randomly or perhaps not so randomly throw out the skill points that you had unlocked so that you didn't even have to bother with it like they were aware that the skill tree was so stupid and boring that they should just let the computer handle it and this crafting system is on the same level there's no questioning there's no wondering Ooh, i wonder what i should equip i don't wonder what like poison effect should i do that should i add like a concussive effect over here or an electrical effect over here there's no consideration over that it's just which item has the highest power level and then you apply the mods with the highest power level after that onto that equipment and then you're done and if you don't have the crafting components for each of those you break down the previous stuff you wore just the night before it's just an exercise in busy work and i don't find that fun i don't think anybody finds that fun and if your gameplay system is entirely created just to waste the player's time I'm not interested and I'm going to call it an absolute travesty, which this crafting system is. But you know what? We've been really negative so far. Let's talk about some of the things that I do actually like. For one, I really like the Belfry Tower. I think that this is really cool and being so different from the Batcave, it's a really nice contrast to the center of operations for Batman being dark, gritty and wet and disgusting 
with the next generation of Gotham's protectors being housed in this bright, vivid, beautiful clock tower. It's a really, really nice reversal. It's a really nice inverse simile, I guess you could say. I don't know if that's accurate. I'm going to have lip majors correcting me, but I think that's probably what you could say. You know, it, it's a reversal, but there are also parallels. It's like a parallel, but a reverse parallel. It's a mirroring, you know. <laughs> Furthermore, as I mentioned at the top, the Court of Owls storyline is genuinely cool. If you've read the comics before, then you won't see many surprises here. Uh, it's just kind of more of what you're familiar with. They don't do anything really, really interesting. And in fact, this version of the Court of Owls is, I think, far less engaging and interesting than I was personally expecting. Effectively, they spoiled everything that the Court of Owls has to offer uh, in terms of gameplay in the trailers. Like, there's no big, surprising, massive boss fight against a Giga Court of Owls boss or anything. There's nothing like that. Like, everything you saw in the trailers is everything they have to show here. They just blew their load too early. <laughs> I also want to say that I really like the idea of having secondary bosses and villains such as Harley Quinn, Clayface, Mr. Freeze. I really like it and it's something that the Arkham games did really really well. In fact, some of my most favorite moments in Arkham City, for example, were just exploring after the game story was complete and finding like the Mad Hatter and going to a tea party with him and things like that that were just genuinely cool. It's not all sunshine and roses because the Harley Quinn quest line is like really freaking weird and doesn't feel like Harley Quinn at all. It's bizarre and strange. I get it's inspired by one of the comic books. I can't remember the name of, but like, I, I just don't find it compelling. I thought it didn't feel like Harley Quinn at all. And when I was looking for more classic Batman stuff in this game, I just did not find any of it with Harley Quinn. And it's really a bummer because she's one of my favorite villainesses in all media like she's so great and they just totally botched it the clay face storyline is much more compelling so is the mr freeze i like what they did here and i thought they were good additions unfortunately i think a lot of players are going to be so burnt out by the time they finish the main story and the grinding that goes along with it that they're just gonna say screw it and not bother with these tertiary quests which is really unfortunate because i think they're missing out on some of the better elements of gotham knights but that's to be expected when the core systems in your game are so lackluster, you shouldn't be surprised when players get sick and tired of it and decide to abandon the game before it's technically over. And also, like I mentioned at the top, I like the broad strokes thematic choices they made for this game. I think it's got a lot of potential. Picking up right after Batman's death, having the Court of Owls as the centerpiece villains in the story, and then constantly showing the pressure that each of these four heroes are feeling to fill their mentor's boots. It's a really nice and interesting priming for what could be a compelling story. And there are some moments that they pulled this off where I felt like I was playing a different video game entirely. Specifically, with each of these small vignettes around the city and within the Belfry, they that allow you to see a softer side of each of the heroes, where they express their vulnerabilities and their concerns, where they question themselves, wondering if they can actually live up to the ideal that Batman left behind. If this were the game, I'd be all into it. If they really took their time with the story and made these characters stand out and presented their vulnerabilities first and foremost, that would be much, much different than what we ended up getting, which is just little moments like that and then these broad strokes moments of just bland arena combat sequences that don't feel fun at all. I highly doubt they're ever going to get a sequel, but if they ever did, 
I would personally like to see the co-op shed, and I would like to see them focus more on these smaller vignettes and narrative beats. One of the things that I think made the Arkham series so overwhelmingly successful was how they told stories within the world, within side quests, within every small little activity. Even something as simple as looking inside the crib at the steel mill after Harley and Joker have abandoned it and seeing a pregnancy test that's positive totally blows your mind and makes you question everything. Oh my God, Harley Quinn's pregnant with Joker's baby. Oh my God. And everything starts to tumble. Unfortunately, there just aren't that many small touches like that in this game. Perhaps they wanted to add that, but it's just not there. And so it makes it feel like there are these little scripted sequences that are interesting, but when you're actually playing the game, exploring the city, there's just not much of that to be found. But that's enough being moderately nice. Let's talk about some actual problems because there are a lot. First among them are the transitions. You see that? I did a transition while talking about transitions. That's how you do a transition. <laughs> you see, the game constantly uses these fade to blacks. There are constant load screens as well, all sorts of bugs and hitching while moving from area to area. And all told, it just reaffirms the idea that the game itself is horribly outdated. This might make me sound like a spoiled gamer or whatever. I don't really care because it's just my opinion. I think we're past load screens and open world games. I think players should justifiably expect better and different. We've had a standard now for like three, four, possibly even five years, depending on which game you start counting with, where there have been massive open world games with compelling gameplay and even compelling stories to boot without load screens beyond the initial load in from the main title selection screen. That, that's like been the standard for a while now. The other standard since 2018 really is when I would consider it to have become a mainstay in AAA games is the real time fade from gameplay camera into cinematic camera. Smooth transition, no fade to black, no special cinematic camera mode. That's been outdated for a while. However, every single cutscene that takes place in this game does a fade to black, transitions into a cinematic camera, everybody else loads out of the scene, they load in the cinematic quality character models and character rigs, and then the scene plays out, then they fade back to black, and then they bring the gameplay back in. I actually just did a review of Evil West, which has all of these pre-rendered cutscenes throughout the game. It doesn't reflect any of the cosmetics you're wearing or anything like that, and that felt horrifically outdated in and of itself. This is a little bit better because it's still in engine. It's still rendering the cutscene in real time. It will reflect the cosmetic changes and the things you have equipped. However, it's a fully separate rendering system than what's used in the gameplay. And as a result, it makes the cutscenes look really good, but then the gameplay look like ass in comparison. Even though I think the game itself, when you're actually playing it, doesn't look half bad. It's just in comparison to the cinematic quality, it's jarring and it's like, oh no, what's this crap I have to play with? You know, it's it's one of those things. There's a reason big developers moved away from having these hard stops between gameplay and story moments with cutscenes. There's a reason they moved away from it. And it's really unfortunate to see that Gotham Knights couldn't live up to that technical standard that's been established. I've touched on it briefly. The quest design is also horrible and terribly repetitive. Almost every single quest will task the player with going to an area, beating people up, 
perhaps interrogating one or two of them, collecting some item or piece of information, and then leaving. There are these case study things that they'll do where you go to, say, a scene of the crime and you have to sort of solve the puzzle by selecting a couple of things and figuring out what the clues are supposed to mean and how they go together. Honestly, most of the time, it just feels like guesswork. If you read the notes, you can sort of piece them together sometimes. 90% of the time, though, it's just trying different combinations until one works. It, that's just frankly easier than trying to do it the legitimate way. And after you complete it, there's no special reward or anything. It just stops and then it camera cuts. <laughs> And it's over. And then sometimes they even task you with these augmented reality, I, I guess you could call them like search puzzles, like this one in Penguin's office, where you basically just go into AR and then with detective vision, look around for small little gold objects, which are the bugs that have been planted around the room. This is not fun. This is just tedious where you walk around. It won't trigger on your screen until you're really close to it. So you just end up slowly walking around the whole room, looking up and down for small little gold dots. It's not fun. It's not interesting. And again, it just feels like it's put here to waste the player's time. I've said it before. It's really difficult to make a gameplay system fun. Even the term fun is hard to define. Like, how do you define a fun video game? Do video games have to be fun for you to enjoy them? Because I can think of a handful of games that probably wouldn't fit most people's definition of fun. They can be frustrating, they can be annoying, they can be heartbreaking, emotional, they can be taxing in all sorts of different ways. It's not necessarily fun, but you still get something out of it. So I'm not saying necessarily that this puzzle to search for bugs in the office has to be fun, but at the very least, it needs to be better than just tedium. It needs to be better than busy work. It shouldn't be something that you dread doing. At the very least, it should be something that compels you and is at least moderately interesting. But all told, the quest design and the things they task you with doing as you play the game, it's all just tedious, repetitive garbage. If you really freaking love kind of mashing on the buttons to, to do combat, then you'll probably have a great time, at least for a little while. But eventually it will grow stale. And certainly by the end of the game, you will be very excited to be done with it. I also have to address this other thing. The fast travel unlocks are hilariously bad. I kid you not, like these things are unreal. If I were trying to come up with a terrible system for unlocking fast travel points, I don't think I could have come up with something this terrible. Take this one, for example, where I'm trying to unlock this fast travel point in the north side of the city. All you have to do is scan each of the drones. Some drones can be scanned while flying. They don't tell you which ones, though. There's no way to visually tell them apart other than trying to scan it and seeing if it works. Most of the drones, though, have to be landed at these charging pads in order to be scanned. And once you've scanned all of the drones for that particular unlock, then you get it. You can fast travel to that location. But because drones do what drones do, they're flying around usually when you get there. And they can be on loops that are as short as 10 seconds all the way up to a solid like 45 seconds for a full loop for the drone to come all the way around and land so you can scan it. What part of this is fun? Like you go here to unlock a fast travel point and then you have to wait standing there doing nothing for a drone to slowly come and land. You scan it and then it goes up and it goes away. And then you go to the next charging pad and do the same thing all over again. <laughs> I kid you not, like when I saw this the first time, I thought, like it's it's seriously like they looked at 
the unlocks in Ubisoft games where you like climb the tower and synchronize, they looked at that and said, okay, okay, okay. People don't like that. Okay. Okay. How do we make that like a thousand times worse? <laughs> and then they figured out how to do it. Honestly, it's kind of impressive. I feel like I should also touch on the writing in the minutia a little bit before we carry on to discussions about stealth and combat. Uh, I made a couple of TikToks off of this. I made a video where I described how I was really skeptical of Gotham Knights. I think that's probably why I didn't get a review code because that video did quite well, uh, where I showed off one of the opening missions that they freely advertised before the game's launch. And in that mission, there is a character who you approach, who's just a grunt, lower level enemy that you're supposed to quickly incapacitate. And she has a line of dialogue that has turned into a meme. The average temperature, something lights on fire, between 424 and 475 Fahrenheit. Dude, it's so bad. It's so stupid. Now this is like so hilariously bad. I don't know how to defend it. Some people are like, oh, it's a Fahrenheit 451 reference. Other people are like, well, it's just to make you feel like the enemies you're fighting are more complex than just the dumb grunt enemies, which I don't buy because the moment you walk outside, you run into this guy. I bet this guy doesn't know the average burning temperature. <laughs> There's no other way to describe it than cringe dialogue written in the same style as like Saints Row. I don't get why writers keep doing this. They think like this is funny or witty or like, oh, that, yeah, they, that was smart. Like, what do they expect me to do as a player? It blows my mind. They surely knew that that was not going to be considered a good line. And even after I made fun of it in that video that did very well, was seen by a lot of people, not to like toot my own horn, but the point is like even Warner Brothers staff saw that video of me teasing it and people in the chat and comment section being like, yep, that's like hilariously stupid. Uh, they should cut that. They still kept the line of dialogue in. They could have just muted it. They could have just deleted it easy peasy for the final release through a patch. But no, no, they kept it in like they were proud of it. <laughs> I get it. There were other problems to tackle. That was pretty low on their list, I'm sure. But still, it's just really funny that it stayed in. Now, let's talk about the stealth itself. In my mind, the stealth is unacceptably bad, especially coming off of the heels of the Arkham series, which again, we don't want to compare to directly. But that series featured some of the most robust stealth sequences throughout the whole franchise even in Batman Arkham Origins, which was the last game that this very team worked on. The point is, like, they know how to do this. They know how to make a good stealth system because they did it before with Batman Arkham Origins. But for some reason, this time around, they just totally missed the mark. Part of it is because the AI is freakishly stupid. The mechanics for actually completing stealth are very finicky. It's not easy to quickly traverse through arenas. There aren't many stealth passageways or means of completing these missions through stealth. It's pretty clear they wanted you to go into these missions and beat people up with your fists and not go in stealthily, with a few very select exceptions, such as when you're breaking into Penguin's office for the first couple of times where you're expected to stealth your way through. For the most part, the missions will ask you to just get in there and get your hands dirty. And this has just been a pet peeve of mine. When a studio has stuff figured out and it's working great, stealth system's looking good, and then their next game, they just take 15 steps backwards and it's like, what? What happened? Like you had this figured out. What What are you doing? You made it worse. You didn't have to make it worse. It's like the dialogue systems in Fallout 4 versus Fallout 3. It's like they took 15 steps backwards all to try and make a voice protagonist 
work properly. And it just was not a worthy trade-off. It was a total waste and it was a terrible idea. Thankfully, it looks like they learned their lesson and they're going back to the previous system. But, you know, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about, where it's like, you guys knew what you were doing. What what happened? <laughs> but I think the most pressing discussion to be had is with the combat specifically, because that is what you'll be spending 99% of your time doing in this game. And it's really the laurels upon which this game rests. Now, some people have said that the combat in this game is effectively just complicated button mashing, which I want to discuss in, in sort of two ways. This can be true of the combat in Gotham Knights, depending on the difficulty you have selected. If you're playing on the hard difficulties, absolutely you cannot button mash, you will have a terrible time. In order to play properly on those higher difficulty levels, you need to time your strikes with this flash that appears every time you start a combo. If you hit the attack button at the moment that that flash occurs, which is very, very subtle, then you'll string together attacks much more fluidly, damage will increase, etc., etc. You'll actually stand a chance against these big, brutish enemies that have huge health bars and deal out massive damage. However, and this is for all of those like Gotham Knights stands out there. If you are playing on normal or easy, you do not need to think that much about the combat in Gotham Knights. You just simply don't. You can button mash and it will be fine. I even tested it by having my wife play the game. She's never done the tutorial. She doesn't know about the timing. She doesn't know about any of that. I just told her, yeah, like this is the attack button. And then you can like do this to activate some abilities when they charge up, but just fight through these guys. See how you do. And she took them out just fine. Button mashing. Didn't need careful timing. Didn't need anything. Just button mashing because it works. This is why difficulty selection really matters and why I think calibration of difficulty is very important because this combat system does have a little more depth than is initially apparent, but because the base difficulty doesn't challenge the player enough, they're never going to learn those timings. And when you pair with the lack of the need to time these things out and learn how to string those combos together, and you, you pair that with the lack of careful parries and deflections and things based on timings as well, there just isn't much need for the player to think very carefully about what they're doing in combat. Instead, you just get in there, you quick dodge around big heavy attacks that come in, you plink away at enemies with your ranged and close ranged attacks until you've built back up the meters so you can use your special abilities, and then you use those and repeat the cycle until that particular combat encounter is complete. Like I get it, there is more here, but the point is the game does not push you into using the other elements here at all. It's why I've said that if you're going to play The Witcher 3, you should play on the Death March mode. Because if you play on the hardest possible difficulty, you are forced to use all of the things like oils, to carefully calibrate your weapons, to go and craft, to loot every single chest that you find in the world, to do every side quest, because you need every single little piece of help that you can possibly get. And that's why sometimes selecting the highest difficulty, or at least a higher one, can actually lead to a better gameplay experience for you, the player, than a lower level difficulty one. But that doesn't mean that I'm recommending you play Gotham Knights on one of the harder difficulties, because this game, when you increase the difficulty, the first thing it does is greatly pad out the health bars of the enemies you'll face. So much so that it doesn't even really feel fair anymore. It just feels like you're the superhero beating up on some random homeless dude who is basically Jesus incarnate and cannot 
hits take damage is just like eating punches. And you're like, I thought I was the superhero. And he's like, nah, son, I am. It's ridiculous. And this has been a problem with a lot of games to be clear. Damage sponges are a problem on high difficulties in a lot of games. The way I think you fix it is quite simple. You just make it so instead of having like inordinately high health pools, instead you make them far more resistant to physical damages and the types of attacks that say button mashers might be dishing out. You encourage the player to try different tactics by making those enemies have large health bars, but be overtly weak to say poison effects or electricity effects or stun effects and things like that. That way you're forcing the player to learn how to play the game in a more complex and satisfying way instead of just encouraging the worst elements of the combat system. Other things with regards to combat I could touch on, I, I could throw out the lack of enemy variety that's here. It's, it's pretty lackluster if we're being real. That's an issue. There's also the topic of arenas. I just don't find any of these arenas or areas that you fight enemies particularly compelling. Most of the time, they're just large open rooms. There's very little variability. The few locations that have some differences in terms of terrain with different heights and spaces like that are clearly calibrated towards stealth, but the stealth system itself is so lackluster that that doesn't even feel viable in comparison. And usually you'll just end up starting a fist fight in that varied area, which just ends up being more frustrating because once you're in the combat mode, there's no easy way to traverse the environment because it locks you out of some of the moves with, say, quickly rappelling up and out of an area or to a different ledge and this and that. I also want to say it's clear that they took a ton of inspiration from the combat systems within, say, Spider-Man for PS4 and Spider-Man Miles Morales, but I think that this was just a big mistake. What Insomniac was able to do with those games is remarkable, and there's a reason Insomniac is one of the best developers in the industry right now. They're tremendous, and the combat systems in those games feel remarkably fluid. In this game, attacks, dodges, everything feels markedly worse, way clunkier, and instead of combat feeling really smooth and fluid and like it's just one big dance, it feels like it's just a series of small hip thrusts and like Mick Jagger moves and then like that, th like that's it. It's not a fluid thing at all. That was one of the weirdest ways of describing that I could have possibly chosen. <laughs> and maybe I'm alone in this, but uh, the last thing I'll say about the combat is that the lack of a parry button or a counter button, depending on how you define it, is so frustrating. It's just infuriating. So often I would see an enemy come at me with an attack and I would want to just tap Y and quickly parry and counter but instead, I have to tap B and just quickly sidestep away. It's really annoying. I know that this is purely personal. And you can have combat systems that don't have parries and instead rely on dodges. And it can be really good. I just personally would have liked both. Obviously, it's easier said than done. Like, oh, just add a parry system. You know, that, that goes back to the first months of development when they're building out move sets and animation sets and things. So it's not as easy as just saying it. But... Again, coming off of the Arkham series and seeing how good a combat system feels when there is a dodge and a parry encounter mechanic, it feels totally empty in comparison. I think the Spider-Man games get away with it because they have such fluid movement. It feels almost more natural to just quickly slide away from an enemy than it is to try to like counter and parry. 
but this game doesn't feel anywhere near fluid enough to justify the lack of those options. But now we're leading into a discussion of the broader conspiracy theory at the core of Gotham Knights that everybody has kind of been wondering about and that I want to discuss briefly. And you see, it all starts with the UI. From the moment that you launch the game, you'll notice that the user interface feels out of place to say the very least. And I'm not exaggerating when I say I seriously cannot think of another game in the last five years that has had UI this stupid looking, <laughs> like it's, it's hilariously bad. The only thing I can compare it to is a mobile game. It looks like something that was built for you to tap on instead of selecting with like R1, L1. It, it looks like a work in progress or even earlier than that, like an outline of where buttons will go. It doesn't look finished at all. It doesn't make sense. It's just weird that it's here. Honestly, I partially wonder if this was some sort of prank by an intern that was brought on that ended up getting latched onto by a higher up in a directorial position. Because honestly, it's just baffling to me that a multi-million dollar game from a multi-billion dollar company with teams upon teams of graphic designers working on this would settle on an aesthetic that's much more in line with your average mobile game for an iPhone 6 than a major AAA release on flagship consoles in 2022. I think of all of my critiques of Gotham Knights, this is one that everybody can agree on. Even people who like Gotham Knights agree that the UI is pretty ass. And I know this is a slight like diatribe, but I looked this up just because I was curious and uh, I found something kind of interesting. The people who work in UI and UX at Warner Brothers specifically, Warner Brothers Corporate, make bank. You can go to Comparably, which is a website that allows you to compare different salaries from different employee grades and, and types within corporations so you can see how your earnings compare elsewhere. These are reported by employees and uh, it's basically by corporation to corporation. So you can usually get a pretty good idea of which companies pay better for what and why. And in this case, Warner Brothers actually pays UI and UX designers quite well, well above the standard pay for people who work in this particular field. And that that just really hurts. The idea that somebody could be making well over $100,000 a year and put out something like this is just amazing. <laughs> like I could have done better than that for a free margarita or or like maybe, oh, I shouldn't negotiate like that uh, for like 90,000. I would happily do that for that. Honestly, I'd do it for a margarita too. Or you know what? You could hire those two guys from Twitter, the Ligma and Johnson guy. They would probably do a better job than this for less than a hundred grand a year. Now, to be completely fair, this is probably like not actually accurate. Most likely the people that reported their earnings at $103,000 a year are, are kind of full of it. My understanding is that comparably is relatively accurate in other industries. I don't know what it's like specifically with Warner Brothers employees. Who knows? I did just find it funny. Either way, the very idea that people are being paid to produce UI like that, even if they're paid 20000 a year and it's like a donkey working on a laptop, I would still say they're being overpaid. And this leads directly into the conspiracy theory at the core of Gotham Knights. And that is that this game really seems like it was developed as a live service, perhaps even mobile game in its early stages. And then at some point they decided to transition it into a major AAA release on 
current flagship consoles. Now, while I don't think it was initially conceptualized as a mobile game, because that's just not how video game development works, you don't just take a mobile game and turn it into a console game. I do think that this was initially developed as a live service title that was probably reworked after the failure of Marvel's Avengers. You see, that game was not received well at all. It flopped hard core. And that was trying to do in many ways the same thing Gotham Knights was trying to do, offer a co-op, somewhat narrative superhero experience to players and offer them cosmetics and things for sale on the back end. And when you look at the crafting system in Gotham Knights, there's no reason for it to be here in its current state, which makes you wonder, okay, well then why is it here? Chances are it's here because initially it wasn't in its current state it was in a different state that made a hell of a lot more sense. What state is that? Well, if I had to put money on it, I would guess that at some point, the idea was to sell crafting components through loot boxes and loot crates, whatever they would have called them, and treat the game like a live service title. I really honestly believe that that's what they were doing here. I don't have any direct evidence of that. I don't have anything like emails I can show you from developers. It's, it's my personal opinion based on what's in the game now and how it just doesn't make sense that they would design the game in this way with so many issues and so many systems that just don't work well on their own. Like on the one hand, I'm glad if that is the case that they shifted away and didn't bother with the live service thing, but it really shows you that you can't just make that big of a pivot in mid-development if that is in fact what happened because... Pretty clearly it didn't, it didn't work out. You can't just like rework the whole crafting system, the whole system around like determining the player's power halfway through development. You can't do that. So instead you just get rid of like the thing that gives you crafting components and then give crafting components for completing quests and add it to like the payout for each completed activity. And then you let players just craft it straight from there and don't allow them to buy it anymore. I, I think that's probably what they did, but I don't, I, I don't I don't know. It's really weird though. But that kind of brings us to the end of this discussion and our wrap-up thoughts. I am so baffled by Gotham Knights because this game I think had a lot of potential. There were times before this game launched when they were revealing trailers, doing developer discussions, when I looked at this and I thought, eh, that could actually be kind of interesting, especially when they did the discussions on the story, the lore, how they built Gotham City, things like that that looked relatively compelling. And I thought, you know what, this might actually have something unique to offer. And then they would flip it around and show the gameplay sequence with the character describing burning temperatures of objects, which just doesn't feel right like it, it just doesn't hit the ear right it feels out of place and it's just an odd choice and that was like the whole period from the game's announcement to release where it was like every week there'd be something that was kind of interesting and i was like oh this could be interesting this could be compelling and then the next week they would do something or release something or announce some information that would cause people to just be like oh no ass game lol and i went into it really trying to like it and hoping that i would stumble on a new favorite title but instead I'm just here left utterly confused as to what this game was supposed to be. It really doesn't feel like it knows what it's trying to do. Like, is it a live service game? Is it a co-op game? Is it a multiplayer game? Is it trying to be like a compelling linear narrative game? Is it just trying to give you an open world to explore? I don't know, but it does all of those things badly. <laughs> I mean, even co-op, which was the like major feature of this game that it was sold on that you can play with your friends and complete your superhero dreams together on launch day i tried to play it on stream 
But guess what was completely broken? Yeah, playing with friends through Steam. You can ask any of the like 500 people we had in chat on that day. It didn't work. You can even go back and watch the replay in the VOD. It didn't work. We tried everything and we just couldn't get it working. You could play with randos, but you couldn't play with your friends, which I thought was the whole point. <laughs> you know, sometimes I play games like this for reviews and critiques, and I'm like, you know what? I think they can fix this through patches. With Cyberpunk, you know, give it some time. If they keep working on it, they'll figure it out and it'll it'll be worth playing eventually. But with this, I honestly think it's just rotten to the core. There just isn't anything here that's good that I can genuinely be like, yeah, no, that thing, if they just focus on that and fix these things, it'll be awesome. They'll figure it out. There just isn't anything like that. Like in my list of things that I like about the game in, in my doc here, I have like the tower, the court of owls questline, the broad strokes, thematic decisions, fun ideas in combat and things. But each of those is like a spark note, a little bitty thing in the context of the whole game. And you can't, after the game's been released, take those little things and then make that the focus. You just can't. That's what a sequel is for. That's what a spiritual successor is for. And I just don't think that they'll be able to do anything about it now that the game is done, even though it's still pretty undercooked, if you ask me. It's just really unfortunate, not just for the players who are missing out on what could have been an interesting game from a very talented group of developers, but it also sucks for the devs too. They worked on this thing for years and years and years. And then because of mismanagement, because of a lack of like clear direction from studio heads, whatever was going on behind the scenes, the game came out and it's just totally, to use the terms of the youths, mid like it's not horrible but it's also certainly not good it's just lackluster in everything it tries to do and that's in many ways like the worst thing you can say about a game because if a game is just downright terrible in its attempts at the very least you can have some enjoyment reveling in its mediocrity but with a game that just is lackluster across the board there's just nothing to really say about it other than eh Eh, like you might enjoy it. You might like this if you get it for five bucks in a few months when people start offloading their physical copies. But uh, as for like playing it seriously, I don't see any upside here. And honestly, coming from Warner Brothers, this seriously worries me about Hogwarts Legacy because that's the next game that they have coming down the pike. And if Gotham Knights is any indication of how corporate managed that game, I, I am seriously concerned about Hogwarts Legacy. I'm pumped for that game. Everything they've shown so far looks really good. But the last thing they did was Gotham Knights. And that's not a great sign. So I'm a little worried now. But you know what? Let me know all of your thoughts on Gotham Knights and all of this in the comment section below. I will be reading through those. We'll talk about it on stream. And if you want to come by and say hi, come by. I'm live every Monday, Wednesday, Friday over on Luke Stevens Live. I'll have it in the link tree underneath the like button in the description box. So come say hi. I would love to see you. I also want to say thank you to all of my mods over on Discord and on Luke Stevens Live for helping keep chat under control on some of the crazy hectic days we had when we were playing this over on stream. So thank you to you guys. And of course, thank you to you for watching these videos. The only reason I can justify making them and the only reason I get to do this for a living and live my dream and support my wife and son doing it is because people like you watch it. 
because people like you subscribe and like the videos, share them with your friends. That's why I can do it. And I owe it all to you. And don't ever think that I take that for granted because I don't. I am extremely fortunate to be here. And it's all because of you guys. Truly, truly, thank you. But with that, I'm going to go prep a snack for my, my uh, little boy who is actually been taking a nap the whole time I've been recording this. So he's just about to get up and going. So I'm going to go prep that. Hopefully you have a lovely rest of your day. I love you all very, very much. And I'll see you in the next video or over on stream, whatever comes first. Much love. I'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye.